good to see everybody here. Give them, uh, give you all a minute to sit down, get comfortable. Well, we got a lot to go over today. We got a lot of information. Uh, as you know, we're going through the series, uh, High Definition Living. And as I was uh, reviewing this this morning, I always read, uh, read my sermon out this morning, usually a couple times in the morning and usually evenings. Uh, last night I was here until almost midnight finishing it up. And, um, and as I was, I was thinking about it, I was just thinking about this whole idea, this concept of high-definition living, and, and something dawned on me, or just kind of came across, maybe it was God, maybe the Holy Spirit was revealing this to me, but I, I wanted to clarify something about this high-definition living. And as I, as I talk about this, and I think, you know, this is what, the, you know, the whole idea of the series is this, to live out the Christian life in some dynamic way, but... As I was reviewing, and, and we're going to do kind of a little quick review over the past four weeks, um, a, a super fast review of the first uh, two chapters. Uh, we're going to be on week five, and we're almost to the middle of chapter two right now, and there's four chapters in the book. And as I was kind of reviewing, I started thinking, you know, these are not things that, that the things that I've been talking about and the, the topics that we've been going through are not things that are, that are really uh, uh, abnormal they're normal things for the Christian life. And it dawned on me that as I was reviewing this, and I was thinking about it, you know, I'm like, you know what? This is more than just a high-definition living. This is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. This is, well, the, the foundation of the Christian life, should I say. So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, the high-definition living being a, a, the, a dynamic Christian life, but it's also the fundamentals. It's the fundamentals of, of how to live out the Christian life in our daily lives. And the series hopefully will bring out a richness in your life, a, a richness as you take these, these principles and what we see from Paul in this relationship with the Philippian church, you'll see these, these uh, uh, you'll, you'll glean these things and you can start incorporating them in your life, you'll see um, the, a result of a high definition life. So as you start applying these things in your life and you start uh, embracing them, the results will be that you'll have this fire for God, and you'll have this, um, you, you'll really see uh, a passion come out in your life for, uh, with your relationship with Christ, and you'll grow tremendously. So, when, so that's my hope for this series. I, I, I hope that you're, you're getting something out of it, but today we're going we're gonna to do a quick overview, and we're going to get into uh, verses 17 and 18, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, uh, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, but in the very beginning, when I first started the series, uh, the series, uh, we started out with the life of connection. And, and in the first couple verses, in verses 3 through 5, Paul talks about the Philippian church and how much he loves them. And, and, he's, and he writes them as, I, I thank you with all remembrance, and, and, I, and basically communicates to them how much he loves them and how deep, I mean, you know, making prayer with joy. And he thinks about this Philippian church with just a deep, founded love because he helped start that church. If you remember, I talked about having this, uh, you know, him, uh, he goes out to the Philippians, or the Philippi, and he sees Lydia and this group of women on the outskirts of town, and they're praying, and, and he meets them, and the next thing you know, Lydia uh, gets saved, and she brings them over to her house, she has a little bit of money, she's a little wealthier, so she sets up a church in her house, and that's where it all began. And so he has this deep, found love for them, and the first message of the, of the series was a life of connection, and it was how important it was for us to have this connection with each other as believers in Jesus. It wasn't, it's not just, you know, buddies or friends or, or hey, you know, we grew up together here or, or anything like that. It was more than that. As Christians, as believers in Jesus, we should come together and have this, this bond that is completely unique as we partner together with the same goal, which is to see lives saved. And so as we do this, as we, as we connect and we bond. There was that word koinonia, which is that partnership, that fellowship that we would have. It was very important uh, for Paul to explain, you know, this, or to look at, I love you guys. I love you deeply because of this partnership that we had together. And so as you partner with each other, as you get together with fellowship, as you, as you work together, as you have that common goal and you see lives changed, things happen and you become a bond or a closer bond. You, you, you get a, a fellowship that is something that nobody else would really understand until you do it. Paul's deep love motivated him to pray diligently for them, to, to desire this, this pure growth in their lives, and he, he wanted them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus because of this connection. 
So he just wanted the welfare of them to, to be reliant on the Lord. I mean, he just really deeply loved them. So that's a great example for us as believers. Then after, later on, he moves on in verse 12. He says, talks about his purpose. And, and now he's in prison, and he's, and he's talking about this. And he says, okay, you know, I'm in, I'm in prison, but don't, don't fret. Don't, don't worry about this so much. Because you know what? I want you to know, my brothers. And verse 12 says, I want you to know, my brothers, that all that has happened is really to serve the advancement of the gospel. So he points out there, yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I might die. Yes, all these things might happen, um, and, and I'm locked up, and all these things. I'm in change for Christ, but don't worry about that. I know my purpose. My purpose is one thing, and one thing only is that is to advance the gospel, and then right here, I'm preaching to the Praetorian Guard. People are getting saved. The Romans are, are, are coming together, and, and the, the word is getting out, and, and that's what mattered to him. Didn't matter about what he was doing or if he was going to die or not. All that mattered to him was his purpose, was to use his gifts for Christ to bring more people to God. Some people were preaching for selfish ambitions. He didn't care. They, he called them brethren. He knew that they were fellow Christians, but it, they just had selfish motives. So he goes on and says, you know what? That doesn't matter. What I care about is the advancement of the gospel. So in week three, we looked at the courage. And so here's Paul in prison, and he says, you know what? Uh, all I care about is the gospel, and look at what's happening around the culture. The Romans, instead of being afraid of of, of being imprisoned themselves, they actually get a boost of, of, uh, of, of courage, and they go out and share the gospel even more. See, sometimes when we say, oh my gosh, I better not follow Paul, I might get in prison too, we run away scared. But instead, the, Romans, uh, the Roman Christians uh, had courage, and they said, you know what, Paul's in there in prison for Christ, I'm going to follow his lead, I'm going to be like him, I'm going to share the gospel too, and it gave them insp inspiration. And Paul here in, in, in verse 19 20, he, about halfway down actually in verse 20, he talks about this full courage. And he, and he talks about having this full courage. And what that's referencing is that he's going to go in front of the, the leaders, the Roman leaders, and now he wants to make sure that he has courage um, that when he presents the gospel in front of these leaders that he, does, that he gives a good witness. That's the most important thing. So he has his purpose. Now he's going to go and preach this, and he wants to make sure that his witness is solid. His witness is, is right, and he has a full courage when he does that. Now it says in verse 20, it says, uh, uh, But with full courage now as always, Christ, be honored with my body, with my life. Uh, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so he's, he's saying, so you know what? I just want my life to be worthy of Christ and make sure that I live righteously and honor him by what I do. Moving on down to uh, verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27. He talks, he goes on to um, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So again, he goes right back to that, that attitude of, of just make sure that we, we live a righteous life. Not, not a righteous as in I'm better than other people, but a righteous life with humility and love. And that one that honors God with how we live. And he goes on and says that whether I come or see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, meaning unity, not more than just unity as in we all agree as a church, but unity as in whatever we need, we're going to compromise and work together and not complain, not backbite. We're going to be of one accord, and we're going to come together with the, as a body of Christ, and we're going to serve the gospel for the kingdom and, and serve Christ at all costs. And so he continues to say, look, uh, live your life worthy of that gospel. Jesus died on the cross for you. What are you going to do for him? Are you going to live a life that's worthy of him? That's going to honor him? If I had a father that maybe sacrificed his life to save mine, the rest of my life I'm going to honor him in everything I do. Well, the same thing's true with our God of, our, of our, our, our salvation. He died on the cross, so we should honor him by living our lives worthy of that sacrifice that he did. In week four, last week, we talked a lot about humility. And Paul gets into some solid application. And in chapter two, verse three, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, he doesn't talk about neglecting the welfare of your family. He's not talking about sacrificing everything you have um, just for one thing. But what he's talking about, because we actually we see that in, in Timothy. 
What he's talking about is as we consider our families, as we consider life, as we interact with other people, we should consider everybody. And we should have a life of humility. Putting people, not not looking at go, well, I'm not going to help these people because they're beneath me, but looking at everybody as equals and try to include as many people as possible. See, when each member of the Christian community exercises this mutual concern, problems with disunity quickly fall away. Paul moves toward explaining one of the greatest Christologies in the New Testament, um, and that's around uh, verses 8 or so, and he starts talking about how Jesus emptied himself and humbled himself. He was God up in heaven, and he had golden uh, streets, and he had angels singing to him, and then he humbled himself and emptied himself to become a man, and people shouting out, crucify so he goes into this, this, this Christology, this, this explanation of him being 100% human and 100% God and how he humbled himself. And then Paul moves on in verses uh, 14 through 16 and goes back to some, some practical application again. And he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless. And he goes back to saying to the Philippians, look, it's not that you're, that you're doing anything now, but I want to encourage you that as you stand firm and you have courage and you advance the gospel, make sure that you do things without grumbling, without complaining, and do it so you can be blameless. Now, that word blameless, what he's referring to is a blameless sacrifice that, that he talks about in a few minutes. But he talks about that blameless sacrifice of the Old Testament. Remember, he was an Old Testament scholar. So he's talking about that blameless sacrifice. And so he wants us to be, that, that we, he wants us to be lifted up to God and be blameless and innocent, an innocent child of God, without blemish amidst a crooked generation. Now we get to today's point. So all of that leads us all up. He talks about a lot of stuff. I could spend weeks on just that first two chapter. I mean, I, I did five weeks now. I could probably go another five and just that. That's so much meat and so much great stuff in this, this book that we can study it for a long time. As you know, it's probably one of my favorite books in all the New Testament because it gives you such great encouragement to have joy in your Christian life. The Christian life is not supposed to be this life of, of sadness and, and, and boring and, and uh, complaining. It's not supposed to be that way. The Christian life is actually filled with joy and excitement and, and fun. And so this book shows us that. And by living out these principles that we're going through in the series, when we incorporate that, you'll find that that statement is true. So this morning, we're going to take a look at that living a life of sacrifice. Living a life of sacrifice. Now, when I first was looking at this, I was thinking about sacrifice, and and the sacrifice I was thinking of was, you know, sacrificing something for someone. So I did some, you know, dictionary searches, and I looked up sacrifice, and it was interesting because almost all the dictionaries say that sacrificing was referring to this animal or person that's being, um, uh, or surrendering a possession as offered to God. That's how powerful that word sacrifice really is. It's sacrificing for God. It's killing an animal for God. That's the noun version of it. Now then you go on a little bit and there's uh, the verb. It's, it's offering or killing a religious sacrifice. Like for uh, the goat was sacrificed on the shrine. And that was pretty intense. And finally, as I looked down at different definitions, I finally found the one that I was looking for. And it is to give up something important or valued for the sake of others. To give up something valued or important for the sake of others. Now, when we talk about sacrifice, we usually don't, we don't think about the, the sacrificing an animal. I mean, we don't go to that extreme in our, in our current terminology, right? When we talk about sacrifice, oh man, I really sacrificed this weekend. We don't, we're not, we're not thinking about, about the sacrificing an animal. We don't sit there and say, man, I sacrificed the uh, you know, a, bl- uh, a spotless goat so I can go to the UVA game. You know, I, I don't, we don't talk that way, right? When we talk about uh, sacrifice, usually in the context we're talking about is I sacrificed a little bit of work I could have done on the house so I can take my kids to a ball game. And that's usually the terminology we use when, when we think about sacrifice. In our culture today, sacrifice is a word that really has become kind of like love. It's kind of kind of meaningless. It doesn't have its power or strength as a word as it once did. When we say sacrifice a hundred years ago, that really meant sacrifice. 
That really meant you really gave up something serious. But now we say, oh, I sacrificed uh, eating chocolate for Lent. And we think that's a sacrifice. Our, our mentality has just changed in the way this word means. And we usually mean that this word is to give up something for the sake of others. And that's, that's typical for us. Yet when we look at any given situation, what we're giving up or what we're so-called sacrificing is usually not that sacrificial. It's really nothing really that severe. Giving up a Saturday to spend it with your kids is not really sacrificial, is it? Are we really sacrificing some housework to go spend some time with some kids? No. Giving up Netflix um, account so you can get the, the NCAA account on your, on your DirecTV, that's not really sacrificing, is it? All you're doing is exchanging movies for games. So it's not really a, a true sacrifice. And some people, see, some people really understand the idea of sacrifice. They truly understand this concept. They're sac- I know of people that uh, in, in Brook Hills Church, out in, I think it's Alabama, there's people there that were selling their homes, getting into smaller homes, taking the, the money that they earned or they got from selling their bigger home and using that for mission work. I mean, that's sacrificing. They're, they're, instead of buying a new car, they're buying a used car that's, that's you know, 10 years old so they can have that extra money to be able to do something greater. That's sacrificing. See, some of the, uh, most of the time, though, when we talk about sacrifice, it's kind of meaningless. Sadly, I think the reason why is because we have this entitlement um, culture that we live in. And it, and it hasn't always been that way, but I think over the, over the years, it's just becoming worse and worse with this, uh, with this materialism and, and this uh, image and ego and reputation has become more important than sacrificing or more important than other people. Materialism has created a, a culture of indulgence, and things are more important than people. See, what, a lot of people have this attitude of, what's in it for me? I remember when I was a sales manager and I was training my people, and I would tell them, I go, look, you know, when you're working with a client, you got to find out what's in it for them. And then once you figure out what's in it for them, then you can tailor your products to meet that need, and you can get them. And it's all about materialism. It's about filling those needs. And a lot of times our people didn't even know what they needed. They were told what they needed. I was selling jewelry. They didn't need it. I've long said that TV and TV commercials have driven materialism to where it is today. $100 shoes, uh, $200 pair of jeans. Why? To impress each other or impress people on TV that we don't even know? To be accepted? Why? Many people think the idea of sacrificing is giving something up for themselves. Well, I'm not going to get those $80 jeans. I'm going to get the $60 jeans. I'm going to sacrifice. And that's not really sacrificing. Or they might not get those pair of shoes so they can go over here and still spend the same amount of money on something else that they want. And they think that's sacrificing. Oh, sacrificing those uh, uh, Jimmy shoes. Is that right? Jimmy Choo? I don't know. Some, I heard it on TV. It was a little fancy shoe, like $100 shoe. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone? Anyway. They're sacrificing something like that so you can get something else is not sacrificing. I think another reason is personal selfishness is also made sacrificing for others, something that we don't see as often today. Some examples are due to lack of caring of other people. Somebody's feelings are hurt, I don't really care. I don't, have, I don't have the compassion. People brag about not having compassion or brag about not having mercy for others. We sometimes need, need, are more concerned about our own feelings, our own desires, than what other people need or even what their hurts are. Pride, ego, keep us away from serving others because maybe we think they're beneath us or maybe they're broken and we don't, we don't want to help that. Another reason is convenience and comfort um, is another reason real sacrifice is not prevalent. We live in a fast food convenience store world and smartphones. We can order Pizza Hut. We can order Wendy's. Or soon we'll be ordering Wendy's on our smartphones. All these things where we can just deep, beep, beep, and it's there. We don't even have to interact with people. And people in our wonderful country have such luxury that most of us either don't even know what real sacrifice is. And if we have, maybe, maybe you've been through something where it's been real sacrificial. Maybe you've had those hardships. 
And, and, I, and I think a lot of us have. I know I personally have, Jenny and I. But maybe you've been through that, but you've gotten away from that to the point where you don't, have, you don't face that as often, so you kind of forget what real sacrifice is like. Sometimes that happens. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe you might be saying, you know what, Pastor, I've, I've worked hard and I've earned what I've gotten. Great. God has blessed you. I am all for hard work. Maybe you're thinking that, hey, you know what? I don't live in luxury. I barely pay my bills sometimes. Maybe that's you. Maybe barely getting by is you. Maybe you don't own a car, or maybe you rent instead of own a house. Maybe you don't make much money, and you're always watching pennies. You must not be talking to me, because I don't live in luxury. I'm talking to all of us. See, some of us are in tougher situations than others, but sacrifice is not only uh, for material things. It's not only about money. It's also about time, about treasures, about talents. You may be, you may, some may consider a donation of 10 hours a week a huge sacrifice because all their time is so consumed with all these different things to donate 10 hours might be a huge sacrifice for them. Others might consider a huge financial donation uh, something that's sacrificial for them. It varies on the person because situations are different and everybody's in a different spot in their life. See, sacrifice is relative to the person and their relationship with God. Think about the widow's might. You know, the, she only had a little bit, but she gave it all. It's all relative to the person. So today we're going to talk about true sacrifice. What it means, and Paul is the epitome of what sacrifice is. Jesus sacrificed it all, Paul sacrificed it all. And I love what Paul says here in these two simple verses. We're going to look at some huge things about what Paul did and his attitude about it all. In these two simple verses, we're going to understand what true sacrifice is and selfless love. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice, rejoice with me. Before we dig into this verse, let's pray. Father God, as we open up these words and we see what Paul means by being poured out, Father God, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds to your word. Give us what we need to learn here. Give us the, uh, some encouragement on, on what sacrifice is, what true sacrifice is, and how you would want us to live. Father God, teach us something new today. We ask the Holy Spirit to be here right now and work in our hearts and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's talking about, the first thing we want to look at is that poured out, that, that idea poured out. Um, what he's referencing is an Old Testament offering of the animal sacrifices. And what they would do is the offerer would come over and he would pour, uh, pour wine either in front or on top of the burning animal and the wine would evaporate. And as it evaporated, would be a sweet smell of, of, of evaporating wine and it would go up to heaven or whatever deity that they were worshiping. So the Jews would do it um, for God, and then the pagans would also do it for their different gods. And so the steam symbolized a rising of the offering to the deity. And we see this in Exodus, and 2 Kings, Jeremiah, uh, Hosanna, I mean not Hosanna, Hosea. Paul viewed his, his entire life as a drink offering. He viewed his entire life as this, this sacrifice, this, this drink offering. And here it was poured out onto the Philippians' sacrificial service. It is their sacrifice and service for God which motivated him to pray for them and to give support. And it motivated them to pray for Paul. And they loved each other because of this, this mutual sacrifice and service they had to each other. See, most people forgot about Paul when he's in prison. If you remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned that a lot of churches were falling away, even though Paul had a relationship with them. And that because he was in prison, and they just kind of slowly walked away, but not the Philippians. They were there, uh, even though Paul was forgotten and abandoned and opposed by others, the Philippian church still loved him. And so they continued to give support to him. They continued to pray for him. Now, some commentators see this reference of the pouring out 
of his sacrificial ministry to the Philippians. The phrase, I am being poured out, is thought to be done right now. Like he's being poured out, he's being sacrificed right now as a drink offering as he suffers in prison. However, I believe that the prospect of standing before Christ, because he doesn't know if he's going to uh, die or not. He thinks he might, but he doesn't know. Remember, whether I die or not, I, in Christ, I'm okay. To, uh, oh, to live is to, to gain, or to live is to be in Christ, and to die is gain, a few verses back. See, he doesn't know what's going to happen yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I believe the prospect of standing before Christ reminded Paul that it might be soon. Standing before Paul, I mean before him, is this possibility of being in front of Christ because of his sacrifice. Now this vivid metaphor of drinking a drink offering, he explained that even though he was presently in a dangerous situation that could lead to a martyr's death, it was the climax of his ministry and it caused for rejoicing. So even though he's looking at this saying, I might die from this, this is the peak of my ministry, and you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to rejoice. And he wants the Philippian church to do the same. Paul regarded his own life as a sacrifice in the interest of the spiritual advancement of fellow believers. He looked at his whole life as a sacrifice for others, especially the Philippian church, whom he loved. He used that same, first, uh, same phrase in 2 Timothy verses five, or, uh, chapter 4, verse 5-7 through seven, when he was writing to his beloved Timothy for the last time. See, that letter in 2 Timothy, he loved Timothy as his son in the faith. And he wrote him a letter and then just poured out his heart to him. And he writes these words in verse, starting in verse 5. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For, in verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So he's already using that phrase. He's saying, my whole life is sacrifice. My whole life is a drink offering. And now, later on, see, we find out that he didn't die in, in, when he wrote the Philippian church. He actually got freed, and he got imprisoned again later on. And now he's writing Timothy, and he's saying, now it's time. I'm going to die. And here I am, being a... I'm being poured out. Now that's a present term. I'm being poured out now for the brethren. I'm being poured out for Christ. I'm being poured out as my whole life is in service to Christ and my fellow believers. See, the apostle is thinking that of their various Christian ministries performed as a spiritual sacrifice of God springing from their faith. He's not, he's not angry. He's not sad. He's not fearful. He's in joy. He's filled with rejoicing and, and, and joy from being poured out. He, wasn't, he was willing not only to endure present suffering, but also to lay down his life, and the prospect of being with Christ excited him. Having his ministry along the Philippians viewed as success filled him with joy. Enduring his present danger would be a demonstration that he had learned something about this idea of being a mind of Christ. He learned what it meant to endure suffering to the point of death like Jesus did when he knew that he was going to the cross. So what does that mean for us today? What is that, with, with, with all of that, that's a lot to take in, a sacrifice, a lot to, to fill our minds with. You know, here's this great apostle. Apostle, He's a great teacher and a great preacher. He was a scholar. You know, he was uniquely spirit-led. I don't know if you know this, but on the road to Damascus, when Jesus called him, the Holy Spirit was the one who taught Paul himself about Scripture. He didn't get discipled by anybody. He was taught by the Holy Spirit directly. So here's this unique spirit-led writer a master missionary strategist living at such a high disregard for his own preferences, comforts that he is being poured out for others. Paul is prepared to be used up or to be spent for them, for us, because he loves them. So what, what do we do with that? What, what kind of practical thing can we apply in our life for that? Because that's a pretty high, tall order, don't you think? That's to be that sacrificial. 
What personal commitment do we have, do we really have to other Christians? As we are prepared to sacrifice time, money, and our own agenda personally to seek others, to see others blessed, are we willing to sacrifice our time, treasures, and talents? Are we, are we really willing to sacrifice things for others to see them blessed? Do we, or do we sit here in approval and you say, yeah, you know what, I agree with that. We should sacrifice. And then you walk out the door and nothing changes. Or do we actually do it? Do we actually sacrifice? Do we look for opportunities to serve? Do we say yes more than no? When we, when we sacrifice, what is our attitude? How do we apply that in our life? See, it's easy for us as age and time go by and we become more concerned with our comfort than our community. See, as time and, and age, as we get older, we get our easy chair is more important than seeing spe- people spend an eternity. See, as time goes by, as we age, and we, it's easier to be served than to serve. So perhaps we become so complacent. The word complacent is about being self-regarded or self-satisfied. To be, you know, I am so complacent and satisfied, I don't need to do anything. All right, I don't have the motivation to do anything. Maybe we become so complacent or apathetic, so unconcerned and uncaring or so indifferent to what's around us and the hurt and the pain of the people around us and the, the people that are lost that we just don't motivate ourselves. We, we, we don't change anything. We don't sacrifice Maybe we've lost that, that heart for people, or maybe we've lost that desire to sacrifice for them. Maybe at one time we did, and we just don't have that motivation in, anymore, and we've become apathetic and complacent. The sad part is, that breaks my heart so much, is that the longer we are apathetic, the longer that we are complacent, the more difficult it is to change it. The more difficult it is to change our habits, the more difficult it is to, cha- to find the motivation to sacrifice, the more difficult it is to find the desire to serve others, because it takes work. It is hard to sacrifice for other people. It's hard to do it. And the longer we're complacent, the longer we have things the same, the more difficult it is that we'll find, the more challenged it is we'll find the change. Ultimately, we'll find it more, are very uncomfortable when change happens, so we quit, or we fight against the change. When, we get, when, when change gets so uncomfortable, and something different happens, we just don't want the change to happen. A person will never be a producer of disciples unless he lives a poured out life. When our attitude is to be poured out for others, combining our sacrifice with others, we will greatly influence our community, our families, our friends, and reach more people for Christ. And isn't that what our mission is, reaching, teaching, going? Imagine the impact that we could have in Allegheny County alone. I forget the number. What is it, 20-something thousand here? Anybody know? In Allegheny County alone? Let's say 25,000. Bath County's not too far away. What's Rockford County, I think? Is that right next to us? You guys know. Rockbridge. So we probably have in our vicinity, not including Allegheny, or including Allegheny County, maybe 30 to 50,000 people in the region. And when I know when I was at church out in uh, Southampton County, I had no problem driving to the other side of the county to go to church. When you live in the country, driving 20 minutes is kind of normal. There's a lot of people out here that are up in the hills that are not hearing the gospel. There's a lot of people in our community that do not hear the gospel. Why? Because we're too afraid to sacrifice. We're too comfortable to sacrifice. Paul's selfless attitude towards and, and his actions for the Philippians were not manifested through gritted teeth or uncaring endurance. He didn't do it just because he had to. He didn't do it with, with, because of being pushed to do it. No, he, at the end of verse 17, he actually says that he is glad. He rejoices with you all. He rejoices with you all. So his sacrifice is not in, in sadness. He's not sacrificing with, with a gritted teeth. He's enjoying it. He's loving it. He's saying, I 
and with you all. I love you all. I am embracing this with you all. Note the word all again. It's not that Paul has no favorites. He has nothing but favorites. He loves everyone. Paul rejoiced not only for his own sake, but jointly with the Philippians as he contemplated his relation to their faith. See, he was their church planter, and there's something special about that. He was their first pastor, and they knew him. And he was the cornerstone of, of helping them grow and teaching them, and he knew him for 10 years at this point. He was the nourisher. He saw the victories. He helped them through the hardships. He was their shepherd. He conveys this idea by the words, rejoice with you all. See, they were priests together. They were, they were family. They had that connection. Making spiritual sacrifices to God as a result of their faith, they came together and sacrificed to each other and with each other. This is when the best part gets there, Matt. I'm just kidding. Their sacrifice consists of themselves presented by faithful service during life and if need be, by martyr's death. Another reason why he rejoices with them and giving himself for them is because he loves them so much that it just seems perfectly natural. See, giving up things for my kids is perfectly natural. It doesn't bother me unless it's Michael's Pizza. Other than that, it's okay. I don't mind sharing with them. Christian steals my lures all the time. It's okay. doesn't bother me. A well, okay, a little bit. I talked to him about it. But other than that, it really doesn't bother me. Why? Because I love him. It just comes natural. You parents, I know you know that feeling. It comes natural to help your kids when they're in trouble. It's natural to bail them out. It's natural to sacrifice for them when they're in need. And Paul feels that same way for the Philippian church. He loves them dearly. Whatever the reason, there is a, a lightness in his heart as he bears the cross each day in his cell. God has so cleansed this man to the point where he just loves this church. Think about this. He was a murderer. He was a Pharisee murdering Christians and, and putting them in prison. He calls himself the wretched, um, horrible person. And yet, God has so cleansed and overcome Paul's selfish, darkened, sinful hearts with his spirit of love, mercy, and truth that he longs to give himself up in life or death for others. Instead of being a murderer, he's willing to sacrifice his life for them. That's change. That's sacrifice. This is a far cry from the, from the grumbling because someone chooses the wrong hymn. Or, or some, it's a far cry from the grumbling when somebody gets upset over something trivial. It's a far cry when something offensive is said. Excuse me. <coughs> this rejoicing comes from the outpouring of life and is infectious. <coughs> Excuse me again. In verse 18, Paul tells the Philippians that they must be joyful as he is. In short, he basically tells them, don't be sad because my service has led to death. Don't be sad because of my sacrifice. Don't be sad because it's led me to prison. Do not despair if my life is taken. He tells them that their gladness and rejoicing is for the same reason as his. So why is Paul so glad? Seems kind of that he's off his rocker a little bit. I don't know about you, but sitting in prison with the possibility of death doesn't seem like something I would be excited about or, or rejoicing. It doesn't seem natural for a person to feel that way. He's probably going to die, but yet he has his gladness and he wants to rejoice because his life is being poured out. Paul knows that one day it may lead to an earlier entrance to the glory or heaven than otherwise would be the case. And he wants them to know he's happy with the situation. No matter what happens in the future, he is content and happy with his service to God. And he wants them to be too. Even his joy and, and rejoicing is not selfish. Instead of being in prison, 
possibly facing death, instead of whining and crying about it and, and complaining about it and grumbling, like he says a few verses back, you know, he's, he, he's joyful and he wants them to be joyful too. He doesn't want them to grumble. He doesn't want them to whine about him being in prison. He just wants them to be joyful that God is working things out. He wants to share it with others. He wants to share that joy with others. Now, I wanna, we're going to watch a testimony real quick. And this testimony, as I was re- watching it and listening to it, I, I, I got a little teary-eyed. It's a great testimony of sacrifice today. See, we have Paul's, uh, in the, we have all these people in Old Testament, and we read, uh, in New Testament, we read these stories and we think, wow, that motivates me. I would love to be a Paul. But I'm not a Paul. I'm not that smart. God has not called me to be Paul. I am Chris, and God has called me to do a specific job or to have a specific personality. He created me. I'm not Paul. But what I love about these testimonies is when, when you start thinking, well, that's great. That's a great motivator. That's a great story with Paul. That's a great attitude to be. But what about today? Are there people today having that kind of sacrificial attitude? Well, this lady does. And it's an awesome testimony of what she does. Um, so take a look at this. I had a real busy job in business consulting, demanding high expectations, and definitely felt like work was kind of my world. I started to experience my success, got big raises, got lots of props at work, and that definitely lured me in. It was fun to have money to spend and enjoy those privileges. I trusted Christ as my Savior at a young age, but kind of growing up in high school and college, it was like a sit and soak. It was kind of like I made church about me and kind of a consumer mentality. So I feel like the Lord captured my heart. Like, wait, you have a lot more to give. So I was teaching a Bible study for women, came across a verse in Galatians, said, remember the poor? And it's like a distinct kind of mark where I kind of sat up and was like, remember the poor? Hmm, am I doing that? I don't know any poor people. And then a few months into that, something at church was about this kitchen in South Dallas that serves the homeless twice a week. So it serves about 180 folks. I actually, the first time, went with my now husband. It's amazing. It's less than like 10 miles from our home. But I thought, wow, there's a different world down here. I remember kind of probably being wide-eyed, you know, just I can kind of see of humanity. It was really, frankly, so close to home, but so far from my reality. Any little act of kindness really caused them to respond. Um, and so I felt like asking their name kind of created a you care response. I was like, I can do this. This isn't about giving them a meal. It's about serving and respecting them. I was down in the kitchen serving about once a week um, for probably almost a year. And then one of the girls in the kitchen, she said, hey, why don't you come to Bible study with us? And so now 18 months later, I spent my Thursdays in Bible study with these inner city, often past incarcerated, mostly homeless, awesome women. It's like crazy different than most Bible studies I've been in. Some have walked as much as an hour. Others need a ride. And we just forget about basic resources. They don't have cars to get there. They don't come showered. And they come hungry. Frankly, it's tough relationally because, honestly, someone won't show up for two weeks. And we can ask someone where they are. And they might be on a drinking binge again. But it's a real fun place to just tell them, look, the door's always open. No matter where you've been or what you've done, come back. We love you. We welcome you. Like their pain is such on a survival level. And it feels like my pain is more kind of on the realm of um, desires, not basic needs in life. I think of Diane. Just last week, Diane stood up sweating and exhausted and tired. And, you know, she's been in an abusive relationship. And, and so just to have her broken and saying, I don't want to go back. I need help. You know, with Sarah May, it's often taking her after Bible study to get her her medicine. You know, when it's she's 55 and it's 100 plus degrees in August, a ride to Walgreens is a huge gift. Or Bonita, I think if her mom died last year, but getting to Parkland to visit her mom in the hospital. Just ministering to them in those different ways. It seems like a one-sided relationship in the world's eyes. But if you really make it about loving them as Christ loved us, then you can stay down there indefinitely and not grow weary and doing good. So I feel like we're sisters in Christ sitting at the same table, studying the Word of God, and we're coming to the Word of God with very different issues and heartaches and heartbreaks, but same God is Lord of all. I really tried to make some choices at work, which may meant at times not kind of being the superstar at work, to set some boundaries to be available for other things. 
I call it my um, less money, more life campaign. And that takes some sacrifices and a smaller house and an 11-year-old car and that sweet work of the Lord. Because at heart, I'm crazy materialistic and I really like nice stuff. So the Lord's done a sweet work to trade in some of those things that I once held high. It really is fun to develop the relationships with these women over a period of time and excited to share life with them. One of the fun things for Scott and I is we started living life down there and started thinking about our friends in South Dallas as truly our friends and not just kind of we step in to South Dallas and we go back to our comfortable life. Scott proposed on the steps of the White House, which um, the White House is an old, actually, kind of colonial house where we have Bible study. And so some of the first people to know um, were the girls in the neighborhood. And one of them walked several blocks over, and I was like, Sarah, how'd you know? She said, word travels fast in the hood. I want to be the first to congratulate you. The Lord really burdened our heart with Luke 14 and just the passage of invite those who can't pay you back. So we had a Luke 14 wedding and even the venue for our wedding wouldn't be a place that would be welcoming and inviting for them. And so it's been fun to truly share our lives and let them bless us and Lord willing be a blessing to them. And she said, you know, less work so she could spend time living life and living for the Lord. And so she gave up a smaller house, an 11-year-old car, has an 11-year-old car, and she sacrificed those things to be able to serve and to sacrifice for others. And I love that beautiful picture of that. And she wouldn't trade it. She says the sweet work of the Lord. That's her attitude about it. It reminds me so much of Paul. When Paul is sitting here, I'm in prison. I'm about to, I'm probably going to die. We don't know. I definitely am going to go in front of this, you know, these leaders. And I'm going to be able to share the gospel with them. And I hope I don't, uh, I'm, not, you know, I'm not ashamed at my testimony. And he's concerned about that because he only wants to, to do right by God. He only wants to live out a, a worthy life from God. And, but here he is in prison. And he has, look at his attitude about it. He has the sweetness of the Lord's work. He, he's sacrificing for others. He's sacrificing for each other. And yet his attitude is rejoicing. His attitude isn't, oh man, look at where I ended up serving the Lord. Dang it, I'm in prison now. This is terrible. No, he's like, I'm in prison. Thank God I get to do this. I'm in prison. I get to share with people that you guys probably can't because of this. And he has this great attitude about it all. See, all Christians need to realize that the Christian faith is a faith of sacrifice. It is not a sit on the pews, sit down, and complain about anything. It is a get busy minute, uh, life. It is a sacrificial life. It is a life that you should participate in and not sit on the outskirts. Christianity has, as we know, has its roots in the Old Testament. A book of, full of laws and commandments that deal with sacrifices. Look at Leviticus, Deuteronomy, filled with sacrifices. The New Testament, we see that the fulfillment of those sacrifices and the call of the people of God to make sacrifices, not to animals, but of ourselves. Animal sacrifices are no longer in the New Testament, or are not in the New Testament at all. We are the sacrifice. We are to sacrifice ourselves for God. Are you willing to make sacrifices for Jesus? Are you willing to make sacrifices for God, the one who saved you? How far are you willing to go for him? How far are you willing to sacrifice for Christ? Are you willing to publicly confess him? Are you willing to share the gospel? Are you willing to serve in some way like feeding the homeless? Are you willing to give up, uh, be here at midnight on certain days of the week just so you can sacrifice and do something for somebody else? How far is your limit? How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to do whatever it takes 
for Christ. Let's bow our heads. Everybody keep their heads bowed, eyes closed, so nobody's watching each other. If you've never accepted Christ, now's the time to do it. If you've never made that commitment, now's the time to do it. And it's simple. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and you commit your life to him. And that's how simple it is. You accept his gift. And if you have not done that before, but today's the first time you're taking it serious, do me a favor and slip up your hand and let me know. If right now is the first time you've ever made that commitment to Jesus, raise your hand and let me know about this. And we'll pray for you. Now, if you have not, if you've have not made that commitment today, but you are a Christian and you consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, this question's for you. Are you willing to sacrifice your time, talents, and treasures for the gospel and for others? Are you willing to sacrifice your time, talents, and treasures for the gospel? Are you willing to get out of the lazy chair and sacrifice for your Lord, Jesus Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice your pride, your ego, and share the gospel at least every day? Are you willing to make your life, are you willing to pour out your life for Christ? If you're willing to do that, I want you to make that commitment right now. I want you to make that commitment, a serious commitment, to pour out your life for Christ. Not for me, not for Covington Baptist Church, but for Jesus. Make that commitment right now. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then Jan's going to come up and sing. And while we're singing, if you've made that commitment to sacrifice, to pour out your life for Christ, I want you to join me at the altar. I want you to make a public confession of it. Join me at the altar. You don't have to say anything. I won't embarrass you. Just join me. And make a stand up and say, I'm going to sacrifice for him. I'm going to make that commitment. And the first thing that has to go is that commitment uh, to let go of the pride. To let go of the ego that keeps you in your seat. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Paul's sacrifice. Thank you so much for his example of being poured out for others. And Father God, I, I praise you. And love you so much that I hope that everybody here will pour out their life for you too. And have that sweetness of, of, of gospel ministry. I hope and pray that each and every person here understands and learns what it's like to sacrifice for you. So they can see the beauty of serving you, Lord. I hope they have the courage. I hope they have the courage to step up and step out. For each other and for our community and for you most importantly father god thank you so much for paul and, and his example and his love to the philippian church and i just praise you and i pray that each and every person here uh, grows in the grace and knowledge of you lord and i pray that we'll continue growing more in love with you each and every day in jesus name amen